With ChatGPT's popularity and rise of AI tools, UX and UI design might just accelerate towards a more human-centered approach even more. And what would conversational design look like in an AI future? Welcome to the Conversologist podcast, where we talk about the art and science of conversation in the digital space. We know that technology can be a powerful enabler, but communication and emotional connection still need to be at the core. I'm your host, Jam Mayer, and I invite you to converse with us. It's a great pleasure to have Erica Hall in our show today. She is the co-founder of Mule Design, author of Just Enough Research in Conversational Design, where you find the art of communication can elevate technology and why conversation is the best model for creating a more human-centered design. Hello, Erica, and thank you so much again for spending your time with me today. Hi, Jam. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I'm just going to dive into it because I know we had our first initial talk when we first met online talking about the show. And we were talking about chat GPT and prompts, if you remember. I would like to actually continue our conversation around that topic because you did mention that, look, actually prompts versus just talking to chat GPT, there might be a difference, but prompts might actually produce better results or would it matter? What are your thoughts? It's a, I think it, it really depends on, on what you mean by better results. Like all of these tools are very early and they're they're changing all the time you know these the models are learning and they're releasing more and more sophisticated models into the world the tools are training the humans just as much as the humans are training the tools and i think that's an an interesting space we're in right now because we've all learned through web search how to form really good search queries and i think from a user's perspective Right now, everybody's testing out these, everybody has been working with them like this, but a tremendous amount of excitement. I think right now there are so many questions swirling around of how much of using these tools is hype, how much is reality, and how do I, as a person interacting with them, get the best results out of them? Sometimes it's better, and I saw that you, you actually posted it on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, it's sometimes it's better and it's more efficient, probably not producing better results, but it could be the being more efficient in terms of talking to ChatGPT. So prompts come in. That's why it's all over the internet. Interesting that you mentioned, well, sometimes people just want to go right straight to it and a prompt can do that versus spending I don't know, just like having a long conversation with ChatGPT. It's, it's really more of efficiency. Yeah. I, again, going back to, you know, people learning from using these systems, sometimes, yeah, people just want the thing that they want. It's like they want direct navigation as opposed to a conversational interaction. And we're still experimenting on it. Uh-huh. You know, are we actually going to get something else or do we focus on the time spent talking to ChatGPT so that we can get to our end goal. I guess that's a whole Mm -hmm. point, right? Or do we just go for efficiency, but do we actually get the thing we really want through the prompts, right? 
focusing on the industry, just wondering if you've seen any actually using the tool in their work. I mean, I haven't, but like I said, everyone is trying these things right now and and playing with them and, and seeing. And I know I'm, I'm starting to hear stories from, say, marketing copywriters who are losing freelance gigs because of it. But I feel like that's a that's not not totally a short term phenomenon, but I think it's a false economy to say that you can just fire your human and replace it with a system like ChatGPT because there a lot of human intervention will be required. I don't know if you saw the Ted Chang piece in in the New Yorker maybe a couple months ago now. He's an amazing science fiction writer and a programmer. He wrote the story that the movie Arrival was based on. I, I highly recommend all his work, but his analogy was that chat GPT, using chat GPT was like a blurry JPEG, right? It's lossy. It's like a, a blurry JPEG of the web. It put sentences together based on this predictive algorithm, but you, but there's information missing. And the difference is like, if you look at a blurry JPEG, you can tell that some detail is missing. You can tell it's not accurate. You know, you see art, you see weird artifacts because of the compression algorithm. But the problem with using these language-based systems is you can't tell what's made up unless you know. And so the trouble is that like sometimes the answers are pretty good. Like I've I've heard it described as like, you know, an an okay, like a substitute if you ask a question, it's a it's like an okay Wikipedia article. But the problem is Wikipedia articles, good ones, cite their actual sources. And we're starting to hear a lot of examples of these large language models making up citations wholesale because they sound good, right? The systems give an answer that sounds like a real answer, but they don't fact check. Right. They're making things up. They're so-called hallucinating. And so the problem is, if you're asking a basic question, you'll probably get something kind of right. Like one of the best examples that I've heard of is someone who took an elderly relative in for some tests for healthcare, and they got the results back. But but the doctor wasn't able to meet with them yet. And they were really concerned. They're like, I how what's going on with my relative? I'm not a doctor. And they fed the results into ChatGPT. And they were able to get like a plain language interpretation of the results to say, oh, these results kind of mean this. And that's all they needed, right? They weren't going to be doing treatment, but they just wanted to know like, how bad is it? What is the issue? What are the related treatments or prognosis I might be looking at? And so for something like that, it seemed really useful where it's like, I need an answer that's like 60% dependable, but not the details. And so in cases where, you know, you're looking for something like some sample marketing copy, right? Because marketing copy is, is usually kind of high level. Kind, it doesn't need to be totally accurate a lot of the times. So it's to give a feeling, to give a flavor, to give a little pitch. So for something like that, maybe, but anything where you need up-to-date information and you're not going to get the 
truth because you're not going to know which pieces it's making up. But the question is like, how much is that a time saver if you then go have to fact check? And that's uh, that's the other thing I've been hearing about people working with these to say, you know, I tried using it and then I had to go back and correct all the errors. And that was more time than just writing it from the beginning. So it's early days though. And so I don't want to say anything like there's there's nothing like a best practice right now because these are all, everything's, these are experimental tools, right? How are they going to replace or augment certain human tasks? Let's find out. I've seen a lot of videos out there or have seen, well, Google search results saying, hey, here's an article. If you want to create a website from scratch, mm -hmm. just ask ChatGPT to do it. And there are other AI tools. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. That's just the hype right now. It's the most yeah. popular. But any thoughts on designers or web designers to be specific who are using this tool? I mean, is it a good start? I think it gives you a certain kind of consensus reality, right? Like if you if mm. you ask it for something, it will it will tell you what like probably what a a lot of people would like an average of what people would say something like that would look like. And so maybe if you're looking, because I know sometimes it's hard to find good examples of things, especially when you're starting out. And then it, if you step back, like this has always been an issue for us. If we have something in mind and then you go out on the web and you're like, give me a good example of that. You start to see that the way things are in reality, because even if you thought an organization had, say, a really well-designed website, over time, they really start to degrade through use a lot of the times because, you know, different things get added on and the systems get modified and things get deprecated and a new CMO comes in and has thoughts or they just yeah. like maybe maybe they did a big strategic design and then acquired another company. Right. And then they're like, oh, well, we can't do the, our web strategy from the ground up. So let's just bolt that on. And so it can be hard to look for sort of good examples in reality. Like people go and they look on, you know, Behance and, and Dribble or whatever to see examples of things. Mm. So if you're just looking for examples or looking for inspiration, fine. But as far as making a website, is one of these tools, is using it easier than using Squarespace or Wix, you know? Because there's like, there's so many kits out there that are sort of like, or tools that really have everything kind of built in and you put, you have to put your content in anyway. And so, especially if you need the content management system behind it, I mean, I suppose it could give you like a starting layout and you're like, oh, I want it to look kind of like that. Like if you're sort of feeling your way around, which is often a part of the beginning of the creative process, like you're looking for inspiration, great. But when people talk about the the way it will replace certain jobs, it's like, there are already tools out. Like I said, there are already tools out there. You know, you can make, if you're a small business, you can, you know, use like Wix or Squarespace to knock together a perfectly fine site, like really fast. And maybe you have yeah. somebody help you out with it. Like things, things probably seem easier to me because I've been in the business and maybe it's less easy if you have like a pet store and you don't know anything about the internet. Maybe you need somebody to help you out with that. But you couldn't just use AI and totally eliminate an expert because you wouldn't yeah. know it's after. So you need an expert anyway. So it's like, 
are you getting like a WordPress expert or a Squarespace expert, or you're getting like an AI and some other backend expert? So I don't know, but, but like I said, it's super early. None of these things are totally ready for prime time. We're still finding out capabilities. One of the things to keep in mind is, is the systems that we're working on and designing are all integrated with other systems. Yep. So it's not like just because you use AI for one part of it, that doesn't make it interoperable with everything else it has to be interoperable with. And I've always talked about the fact that it's the things under the surface, the design you don't see, that determines whether or not the design is good. Like what makes a system human-centered? Well, if it's got a human-centered ethical business model, if the underlying business model isn't good, right? You might put something like beautiful and elegant on the front end, but that's just going to be a way to involve people in an exploitative or extractive or otherwise unethical system, you know? And this is a great segue to, well, the principles. I mean, it's in mm -hmm. your book, The Principles of Conversational Design. Just for the listeners who may have not or they may not know what conversational design is, probably you can give us sort of a quick summary or definition of what it is and maybe just some of the principles in your book. And then we can kind of see how the principles might actually be impacted. Maybe it may change, maybe not because of this AI. I don't want to say hype because I know it's real. <laughs> we're, we're in that AI experimentation stage. Let me say that. What is conversational design anyway? Well, the, the way I think about it, because people think about it in, in different ways, is using how humans converse with each other as a model for how to design computer systems so that you make them easier to work with. And so this is at a deeper level than just the, the mode of something that, like, I'm not talking about voice interfaces. I'm not talking about, like, chat text interfaces. But I'm talking about thinking about what really makes conversation work. The book, I drew a lot on the linguist and philosopher Paul Grice on his work. And he worked in the field of pragmatic. It's like the, it's, it's language in use and the context of use. And turn taking is a big part of it. And what's kind of implied in conversation you know, not necessarily just the, the syntax, but like the really fundamentally, like what makes a conversation work at, at a deeper level. And the, some of the key principles, like he articulated a cooperative principle, which means fundamentally what makes a conversation work is that the people involved have a goal and they want to cooperate with each other. So I'm sure you've noticed this. If you've had a conversation with someone and the conversation feels really hard because- yes. The other person is fighting with you a lot or <laughs> correcting your mistake, calling out your mistakes, or they, they just talk too much and they don't let you get a word in or they cut you off. Like the goal of the conversation that feels irrelevant or, these, or they're not being truthful, they're avoiding answering the question or they're outright lying to you. So those, those principles of, of conversation can be applied to systems too. It's like a conversation should be cooperative. It should be turn-based, which means, yeah, it's just like this, like back yeah. and forth. That interaction, that makes something 
conversational. It's not like a monologue. It's not like I'm handing you a document. It needs to be to the point and truthful and just enough information, not too much information, not too little information. And then another linguist came along, Robin Lakoff, and she added politeness, like the, like a conversation should be polite and, you know, and respectful and supportive and all these things. So when you're designing an interaction between a human and a computer, it should have these same principles, right? It should feel, it should be turn-based, right? It should respect your time. It should be polite. All of these, all of these things, you know, cooperative and error tolerant. Like that's another key principle. And this is the one where you can really see how some of the systems that were called conversational, maybe like five years ago, work really. Mm-hmm. If you've used a, a voice assistant or, or like a chatbot kind of thing, you have to get your input just right. You know, like say you're talking to the Amazon Echo using Alexa, right? You have to yeah. really state a request that it will understand. And if you say something that isn't a, a, a question it recognizes or can deal with, it's just like, sorry, can't help you. Sorry, can't help you. The same thing with a lot of, um, you know, chat interfaces. You have to be so precise in giving it an input that it can handle. And you contrast this with, with like Google search and Google is very good because it, Google's done like trillions of queries over the years and has learned over time. But you could type misspellings into Google and it could, it could figure out what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And you can, you can tell this in conversation with, with other people if you use the wrong word and they know what you mean, right? And they don't stop you and say, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. What do you mean? And like put you on the spot. And you know, that's a yeah. really bad feeling because we all misspeak. But mm. if you're in conversation with somebody and you say something sort of wrong, but they get, they're really cooperating with you. They're really on your side and they answer your question and they continue the conversation while getting, kind of getting your meaning. Like that's a huge part of it. And being really context aware is another part of it. And that's the hardest thing for any sort of computer system is context. People are great at context. If you're talking to somebody in person or even on the phone, you know, you can tell like, oh, this person is in a hurry. This person is dressed. Oh, this person seems really happy. Oh, like they, they look like they need help or they're struggling, right? And you can adjust. Computers can't adjust to that. And so like a website can't tell like, oh, this person is really in a hurry. So I'd better not, you know, show them all these pop-ups. Yeah. But just going back to error, error, error tolerant. Yeah. They, so they either prevent errors or really help you recover. And that's the, that's the area where I think any system can be improved to make it easier to deal with. If you can anticipate what are all the ways that that the person using it can mess up the input. Like the worst is if you have an address, like a phone number field, for example. Hmm. There's no excuse for a phone number field just being one input and then yelling at you. I don't know if you have this experience where you, you it wants you to put in the dashes or something. And you're like, oh, yes. Then <laughs> you have to be trying. Or the worst, if a form is really poorly designed and... yeah that like the tip for the instruction disappears when you're typing in the, and, and, and then it yells at you. It's being a bad conversationalist. 
there's the desktop version and obviously the mobile version. Sometimes the desktop is perfect. And then when you move to mobile, you go, I can't even see the mm -hmm. fields. I mean, the, the text or even I, I'm not even so sure where I'm going to put the text because it's so small or maybe it's just too big. So it just mm -hmm. goes out of the screen. So it gets frustrating. Yeah. So what I was saying is that even if you're designing a a GUI or a system with a visual component, it's like exactly what you were saying, that the interaction is interrupted in these ways that violate the principles of a good conversation. And that's why conversational design is applicable to all interaction design. Because if you start not by thinking of the layout, because we're not doing, even if there is a, a graphic element, it's not graphic design. Like there are visual elements, there are graphical elements, but it's, it could be really easy to think of it as a static page and design it as a static page. We even have that metaphor. Those visual aspects of the design should follow what you want the interaction to feel like, right? And because it's an interaction in time. So, so mm. there's a, there is a spatial component, but the most important part of interactive systems is thinking about how you're using somebody's time. Because that's what people feel, right? They feel like I am, yes. I, my, my life, the sands are, are dripping down out of the hourglass. I'm losing life force by, by interacting with this system where I'm just, I'm trying to fill out a form. You know, I'm, I'm trying to purchase something. I'm trying to get some information. And if it feels like, oh, there's a really good back and forth. It, it's giving me enough information. It's asking for enough information to keep it kind of going. It's yeah. not making me feel stupid. It's making me feel smart and respected. Like these are qualities that should be a part of any interaction. And then you get to the point of once you have a sense of, okay, in what moment or context in somebody's life are they going to be having this interaction with the system? What do they need? What's the timing going to be like for these different moments? Once you have that, then you can think about putting the visual design on that. But so often still, design starts with, oh, we're going to make some boxes and then we're going to make the boxes hop around as opposed to we're going to design the conversation, the interaction between the person and the system first. And then we're going to think, how does the visual aspect of that support it? So I love that. Knowing the content as well on like input and output, is mm -hmm. that something that we also need to consider? Oh, ab absolutely. Because that's the meaning, right? Mm -hmm. There, there's the meaning underlying it, right? And you, and you layer things onto that. So you can't design an interactive system without the meaning, unless it's just like a tool that you're using that doesn't have any verbal information. Like I'm like, there are things like that, like a remote for your TV is just a tool. So even if it were a purely digital remote, you know, maybe you don't, maybe there's no content there, but for anything that's a service, you need to have the language there first. And sometimes it helps to think about it. Like if this were a person, yeah. you wouldn't care what the person looked like you know, if it was somebody trying to try to perform a role for you, for example, like, like say a lawyer, you wouldn't, and maybe, maybe people are going to disagree with me. You wouldn't choose your lawyer based on what they looked like, right? You wouldn't mm. say like, okay, 
the most important part is I want my lawyer to look like this. And then I hope that they have a good knowledge of the, of the kind of law I need help with. Right. You'd I love with, that. Yeah. You'd start with the content. You'd start with, oh, I need a business lawyer. I need IP lawyer. I need a, a real estate lawyer. Right. You'd start with like, what kind of law do I need help with? And then, you know, then you'd kind of layer on top of that. Oh, and it'd be nice if like the, you know, the lawyer's got to go to court. So the lawyer's got to put on a suit or something. Right. If you think about an application or a website fulfilling a role, the important thing, like you start from what does that system need to know? How does it need to sound? Mm -hmm. Under what circumstances is somebody going to interact with that system? And then you get up to the point of, well, given all this, then what should it look like? We look at Craigslist, right? Craigslist is over 20 years old. It's still going. Like there, there are a lot of other websites that people use now. So I don't think it's, it's not as dominant as it once was. But yeah. it was a page of links. And then at some point they added photos and they, they, did, they have cleaned up and refined the look of it over time. But it's still fundamentally a page of links and some photos. But underneath the way that Craig and his team design the business rules, that was the important design. The things that they decided to charge for and the things that were free, that made it work. And those choices, those design choices made the company very, very successful and, and last for, you know, decades now where other, other websites and apps have come and gone, other internet yeah. businesses have disappeared. And that one, retained its utility because of the way they thought about what was important in the interaction. You know, what was important is speed. And I think that's a thing, you know, we were talking about keeping a conversation going back and forth, back and forth. I think that's the perception of something feeling very fast and feeling very easy to use and error tolerant and not like you've got to sit there and, and weigh your choices. That's mm -hmm. something Craigslist got real right because the lack of a lot of visual polish makes it feel really fast. Like you can scan down. If you're just, if you're looking for an apartment or you're looking for a chair or something, you just scan down this list of links. And if there's new stuff, it just pops up to the top and it feels really fast to deal with. And it doesn't feel like, oh, there's a, there's a lot of polish. Um, yep. I think it's, it's also, it's, it's simple. I just want to focus on the time element because you've mentioned this a few times already, mm -hmm. right? It's time element. And just moving a little bit on the AI side of things is a lot of people are saying that, well, you should go and use AI tools now, regardless what they're for, right? Because it's faster. It's, you know, we're time squeeze professionals. So we should mm -hmm. use AI, use AI, 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 AI. What are your thoughts on that in terms of when you start thinking of the principles of the, you know, conversational design, putting in time in there and then add all the and sprinkle it with AI? It's important to keep in mind is there's been machine learning, so-called AI mm -hmm. in a lot of systems for a long time. I just think it's just with chat GPT, all of a sudden we have these, the gener the generative AI and the large language models, people are like, Ah, and so, but there's been a certain amount of AI in a, in a lot of systems, but now it's like, oh, it's got, it's like, I remember when Oat Brand was in everything and now it's like, oh, it's got AI, AI is in everything. It's it, hell, but it's not necessarily better. So I'd say like try these things, but, but it's all about what you're optimizing for and what's important. 
if accuracy mm-hmm. is really important, like a great use case I heard was for for researchers who like academic researchers who do not speak English as their first language, but want to submit to some of the more prestigious journals like Nature or Cell. Like there's some really big journals that if you get published in that journal, it gets your paper out to a much wider audience. And it's, it's very, it's very good on your CV. It's very good for your professional reputation and it's very good for sharing your research. But historically researchers, you know, didn't speak English as a first language, we're at a disadvantage. And so a use case I've heard is that you can use these tools to help adjust the language in your paper okay. into to the language of the reviewer. So then that your language style doesn't get in the way of the science. And that's a great, that's a great use case. So there, there are places where it can help you reduce the barriers and there are places yeah. where it can help reduce bias. But the problem is there are also places where these tools can exacerbate bias because they've been trained on biased data because humans are biased. And so the case I heard about with the the researchers who were able to submit, uh, have more advantages submitting their papers so that the language didn't get in the way of the science in the eyes of the reviewers, that's a great use case for removing bias. But there are other cases where it's very easy to end up in a bad place. And so try these things, but always keep, again, keep the principles in mind. Like Ezra, Ezra Klein, who's an American journalist, had, he wrote a piece in the New York Times a while back talking about the business models for AI and saying that's the place where we need to really look at it. Because if you have these systems that are just trying to get people to look at more ads or trying to, you know, manipulate attention because of the, uh, because the underlying business model is, oh, steal this person's attention away from their primary task. If you take Mm -hmm. that and you use AI to put it on rails, that's bad, but you've got to, again, fix that at the business model level. So, so much of what's important about this technology or about how it's going to influence design Again, it's the underneath stuff in terms of what are the principles? Are you really trying to, again, cooperate with somebody and help them meet their goal? Or are you trying to take their attention away from them and divert it to something that's good for your business, but not good for that person or not good for society? That's the part to really pay attention to. I mean, that it's, it's fun because it feels like these things feel magical and easy You use them. Like, oh, I just type in a few words and I get something. But then you have to say, but did I get the thing I needed? That's the question. Just because you got something really fast and you got something that looks good and looks like something that, that is really well-made. Again, it's, it's going to that, the fuzzy JPEG. Like, is it something that just looks true? Like we have so many problems with misinformation already. And again, mm-hmm. I think, I think so yes. many of the, the dangers that people are worried about are like, they're dangers we've already been, you know, not managing very well. And so it's, I'm, I know there's, there was an open letter calling for like a six month pause on developing these systems so that we could figure it out. But that's, that's not gonna, I think it was a good, 
it's good to put these cautions out there, but the stuff's happening. And I think the conversations we have to have are being really clear on what's your goal? What are the underlying principles? What's your code of ethics? How does the business make money? Are your goals really in alignment? Because this is what Ezra Klein was saying again, that we have alignment problems, right? We have the, the problem that like human well-being and corporate interests are out oh, of alignment. Gosh, yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we have to fix. Or we have, yeah, we've got, so there are all these places or the amount of power, say, an employer has versus the amount of power that somebody working for them has. Like those could be really out of alignment. And those are the, those are the things that we have to work on and fix. And we always have to be asking ourselves with any new tool or technology is, what is it promising to do? Is it really doing that? Or is it just the new shiny thing, right? Because there's so many things that like websites are great for. Like I always use my bank as an example because I use Bank of America and they were one of the first banks with a, like a, a chat bot out there. And I, I am particularly irritated because they're, because it's Bank of America. <laughs> it's called Erica. And I'm like, mm. and then I tap on Erica. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't need to have that kind of conversation with what I need from my bank is really straightforward. And I just want to click on things, right? I want to click on what's my balance. Oh, I want to click on transfer money from this account to this account or send money to this person. I don't want necessarily like auto pay is great, but then it's a question of these agentive systems, you know, the systems that act on your behalf. How often would you have just a person acting on your behalf, right? How often do you need like concierge versus self-service, right? Where you're, you're doing the thing and making sure it's being done right. Just because something is so-called AI doesn't mean it's like better at making those, the choices that you want made. Say if you book your own travel, right? You know, you're like, here are all the flights I could take. Here are all the prices. And you can see all of your options and you can see all the rules. But if you got on the phone with somebody, which is what everybody used to do to book travel, like imagine being on the phone and saying, find me the best price ticket to Hawaii. And you'd have to trust, right? You'd have yeah. to trust. If they came back and said, yeah, this is the best ticket, this ticket at this time, I feel like a lot of people still want to see all the options, right? Oh, truly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like myself, in terms of options, let's just go back to the chatbot and stuff. Mm -hmm. I would prefer, because we don't know the different users. We can always have a perfect system, but we don't know the different users that's going to mm -hmm. land on the website or chat with a chatbot, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's it's. There are some people who would rather actually talk to a person or an AI mm -hmm. and just keep on talking. They've got all the time in the world. We can't take that away from them. But that's why phones are, still exist, I think. <laughs> and as you said, there are people who are just in a hurry. Give me the pricing. I need it in this date, this yeah. date. Done. Book it. So, yeah, yeah. totally. And so, as, yeah, so I think a lot, there are a lot of assumptions about what fast means and what efficient means. Yeah, it's going to mean different things to different people. Getting good mm. service means different things to different people. And so I think this is going to be 
like hopefully adding in this kind of machine learning will make systems function better. But again, it all has to do with what the systems are optimizing for. Like, are they cooperating? Going back to that cooperative principle, are they in alignment? Is the business goal in alignment with the user goal? Or is it trying to divert you to something else? And oh gosh, Bill Gates had a really a, a quote that I've used before about automating systems. If you have a process and it's working well and you automate it, that's great. But if you have a process that's not working well and you automate that, it's going to be terrible, right? And that's, that's essentially what a zombie apocalypse is, right? We've got, you've got zombies and you like automate them and they just eat brains, 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 brains. Just to wrap up the conversation, I'm absolutely loving this. I have more questions. Maybe we can do another episode. I don't think AI, at least today, will change the principles that you've mentioned. I think it is going to still hold firm. And I love the fact that it should still hold firm. And I don't think it's going to change even in the near future. AI can help, but not necessarily the principles, the alignment. You've already mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good news because a lot of people are afraid and things are going to change. And well, <laughs> no, things, things could totally change because we haven't really touched on, like there's going to be emergence phenomena out of this. There are going to be things yeah. that, that the designers didn't intend. Like once the, once the machines are all talking to each other, we're going to see new properties and new things we have to deal with happen and they're going to be unintended consequences. And so I'm not saying like, don't worry. I'm saying worry, but always go back to, we've got to think about what we're optimizing for. We've got to think about what the, because the whole point of any sort of technology or any sort of software is to like help people do something. And so it's all about making sure you have good goals and good guardrails in place. If you unleash these systems and you just tell AI, like, maximize profit at all costs or something, you know, no matter what, yep. bad things could happen. And the most important thing is to want to not destroy the earth and want to not destroy human society. And you start with that and then you can start to see where to put in, like, the checks and the guardrails and the regulations to make sure that this technology doesn't destroy things too much. Totally agree 100%. Well, thanks so much, Erica, for letting me pick your brain today. I mean, there's still so much to talk about around this, this topic. As I said, it's very early days and hopefully when you have time and you've got new info, we could do another episode in the near future. Because everything will be different. Yeah, six months from now, everything's changed. Definitely. The, the definitely. robot overlords are ruling the earth. Yeah, we'll be like, oh, well, I guess. I know, exactly. Anyway, for the listeners who are listening to this podcast, thank you for your time and check out the show notes for any links and resources that Erica has discussed today, including where you can get Erica's books. I highly recommend you get them, especially if you're UI and UX. And I have a few friends who are already saying, oh my God, I want to see that. But hit that follow button or bell wherever you're seeing this to be notified of our next episode on your preferred social media platform. There's heaps of them out there. 
we are primarily of course on spotify and you can subscribe to our show go ahead choose your favorite podcast app and hit that follow button thanks for listening and spending your time with us and remember to keep the conversation going 